Hello, and welcome to the CBC The Rim podcast. We're glad you found us. CBC The Rim is a church in San Antonio, Texas. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us at cbctherim.com. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And tonight we're, we're closing down um, a sermon series that we've been in since the beginning of January. We've just been calling Resolution. And the reason is because so many of us, we make uh, those beginning of the years, New Year's resolutions, and typically uh, they don't make it to February. And so stats would say that about 10% of us are still right now working on that resolutions. There's actually a day on the calendar where you can quit your resolution because it's so common. Um, I, th- I thought that was interesting. Uh, this is the first time I've heard of that. And we've been kind of walking through a journey where we're kind of going, hey, we want to come alongside of you and help you be the leader that God has called you to be. And so we kick-started the, the series. Pastor Ed was here and talked about this kind of the 1% change. Like, the, what does it look like to not, if you, if you, let's say, for example, you're out of shape, don't get up tomorrow and try to run a marathon because you'll be discouraged and frustrated and uh, you won't run again. But rather, what does it look like to maybe walk a half a mile? That's that the power of 1% change. The same thing when reading God's word or trying to pray or to put disciplines in your life. So we looked at that. Then we, we took actually two weeks because we thought it was so important to talk about that margin in our life actually matters. That God cares deeply about us resting well. And then from a place of being rested that we can then be productive for him. And we we, we kind of started asking ourselves the question, like our culture that we rest from work, but what would it look like for us to work from a place of rest? And I love it how the Jewish culture, they say it this way, that you Sabbath, you rest, um, not because you get tired so that you don't get tired. That from a place of rest, we're able to be productive. And this was, that was a huge few weeks for us. And we talked about what it looks like when we fail, not if we fail, but when we fail and how the grace of God meets us in our failures. And then last week, we talked about servant leadership and that Jesus taught us to serve and that you and I, that we, we can't be close to Jesus without taking on the same posture of Jesus. Like he invites us into this as a part of the journey And I love it. Last weekend was just a really sweet moment for us as well over a hundred of you, majority of you, men just wrote a name and an email or a phone number on a card and said, hey, I don't want to be a part of a church where I sit in the bleachers and I watch a few people play the game and make impact. I actually want to leave the bleachers, put on a jersey, and actually begin to change the world. And we're just so honored that even just a few hours ago that we sat in a room and began to talk about and dream about what could that look like for our church. For us to not just be people who come and spectate but actually believe, I really do believe what God's word says about us, that if you know Jesus, that if you love him, the scripture says that you are a royal priesthood, that you, that the Holy Spirit of God, the presence of God lives, dwells inside of you, and you are called to be a pastor to your peers. And I, I just, I cannot wait 
to see how this unfolds in the days to come. We talked about how there were 12 teenagers, 12 teenage boys who believed that truth and God changed the world because of them. And then what would it look like with roughly about 400 people in this room tonight? That what would it look like if just a handful of us said, God, my yes is on the table. I'm not quite sure what the question is, but I'm in. Here I am. Use me, send me. What in the world could happen in our community with a few yeses on the table? And so I, I really do, I say this with all sincerity, I believe that uh, the best is yet to come for our church and that we're on kind of the edge of something really, really sweet. And uh, I have you guys to thank for that. So, well, tonight, um, here's where we're going to kind of sum up all of this series. And I'll just go ahead and kind of read for you the takeaway and where I'm hoping that we land. And here's the takeaway. In order for you and I to be the best leader, that we have to first become the best follower. The question is not only are you a leader worth following, but is the leader you are following worth me following? And so kind of just there's been this huge wave uh, of the last few years. A lot of leadership books are written. If you just Google right now leadership, there'll be close to 5 billion uh, like, like entries or responses, results. Uh, if you type in uh, leadership on Amazon, tens of thousands of responses. But what we're learning is there's actually very little written about follow followership, which is kind of strange because it's not really a word. That's probably why there's not a lot written about it. But what it looks like to actually follow. But here's some interesting quotes. Truett Cathy, uh, who, I mean, is famous for Chick-fil-A and putting them on the map. And that was his idea. Uh, he said this. He said, to excel at leadership, you must first master followership. Michael Hyatt, who is uh, kind of the, uh, if you will, the president of the Hyatt Hotels, in an article titled, Why the Best Leaders Are Great Followers, says, History's worst leaders, history's worst leaders never learned to follow. And as a result, they became tyrants, making the lives of their own followers miserable. And so tonight, I, I want to contend with you that if you want to be a great leader, that you and I, we first have to become a great follower, just in case you're not completely buying it into all of this. David Robinson talking about Tim Duncan and Coach Pop uh, just back in October as they were talking about Tim Duncan becoming one of the coaches for the Spurs. Uh, Tim, uh, David Robinson was quoted, he said this, Tim Duncan brings professionalism. He brings a focus just like what he learned from Pop. A no-nonsense kind of mentality. What is he saying? He's saying because Tim Duncan was a good follower of Coach Pop, he believes that he's going to be a great leader. We see this all throughout the scripture. If you've been journeying with us through the Read Scripture app, that we've just watched the Israelites go through the desert and they're this journey to the promised land. And Moses, who is arguably one of the greatest leaders of the Jewish faith, was first a phenomenal follower. 
that he didn't go anywhere, that the cloud by day, fire by night, the presence of God didn't lead him. And so when it moved, he just gathered the Israelites and says, hey, we're following the cloud. So follow me as I follow God. That Jesus, think about this, an amazing leader, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, like we all we have to buy into that because of just history. We said this last week. If you, if you've been, if you left earth 2,000 years ago and you still have roughly 2 billion people on the planet that claim to follow you, you're a pretty dang good leader, regardless of what you think about him. Jesus, an amazing leader, he had these disciples, these 12 disciples or 12 followers who followed him. And they literally changed the world by becoming great leaders. They were both first followers, and then they became leaders. Check this out. The only one that didn't change the world was Judas, and the reason is because he quit following. And so to be a good follower, like our good followers are made into great leaders. So the question tonight that I think we have to answer Simply is this, what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? Because let's be honest tonight. We use this language sometimes. And you can hear it from different, different groups of people who say, yeah, yeah, I follow Jesus. But sometimes you hold it up and you go, when you say you follow Jesus, and then you say you follow Jesus, and you say you follow Jesus, but it looks completely different. What does it actually mean to follow after Jesus? And so here's my hope is to put it in just the simplest terms tonight as we look at a very man, cool passage as we look at some of Jesus' very first followers. So Mark chapter 2, in verse 13, this is what it says. It says, once again, which just shows you this was Jesus' habit, he went out, out beside the lake. So a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Aphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and he followed him. Now there's a couple of things that we need to see here, just a little bit of backstory. So Jesus is, he goes out to the lakeside, this massive crowd follows after him. He's beginning to teach them, but he's kind of doing it as he journeys. He comes up to a tax collector booth, and there's a guy by the name of Levi that's sitting at that booth. That's his, he's, he's at his cubicle, he's at his workstation. And Jesus looks at him and he says, follow me, like two simple words. And the scripture says he gets up and he follows him. Now, what we need to know about Levi is he's a tax collector. Now, if you, if you have any church background, uh, you've probably heard that tax collectors are, uh, they're just not super fav favorable. You think about like Zacchaeus, the wee little man. He was a tax collector. He got maybe bullied a little bit. People didn't r r like him. And so our thoughts on him is that it's like he would take taxes from his people and then he might just kind of bend the rules a little bit and add a percent or two. And so he was kind of a thief. And that's why people didn't like him. But it's not true. There's a whole lot more layers to this. When the Bible begins to talk about tax collectors, I want to just give you a quick Quick picture. We have a lot of time here. At the time, Jerusalem is like being ruled by an outside force, the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire at this time, it stretched from the tip of India all the way up to Europe. A massive empire. 
controlling all of these places, including Israel. So how do you oppress people from India when you only got one emperor, like one maybe home base? How, how do you do this? You do this with an army. Like, but oppressing these people. Now listen, what, like, these soldiers, these Roman soldiers, they weren't just like police that were kind of a little sketchy. No, like they had their way. They would abuse the people of Israel. They would, I mean, like take whatever they wanted to. A lot of times they would, I mean, abuse their kids or maybe even rape or steal or just take whatever they wanted. I mean, these, this, I mean the people of Israel are being oppressed. The question is, how do you pay for that oppression? Taxes. And so you have someone who is, claims to be a part of your bloodline, a part of your family that is taking money from you, getting their cut, but knowing that that money will be put in a place that will help oppress you more. These people were hated. Hated. The closest thing that I can get to even wrapping our mind around how much a tax collector was hated, it's the equivalent of almost saying it was like a pedophile that was in the Taliban. Like that type of person. That, that, that emotion that you and I feel when you say someone like that, like that's a tax collector. And Jesus walks up to him during his day job. And goes, follow me. And there's a moment here, there's this major fork in the road. A decision has to be made. And what does Levi do? The scripture says that he gets up and follows Jesus. This is a big deal. Because watch this. In that moment, if Levi gets up, he doesn't get to go back. If he leaves his job, that job's not waiting on him when he gets back. All the other disciples, many of them fishermen, if they, if they leave their job, they can go back to being a fisherman. Many of them do after Jesus dies. Peter, for example, goes back to fishing. But if Levi leaves, he leaves everything behind. And what's he do? He, he rose and he followed him. Now, it's always important that when you see, especially in the Gospels, the Gospels here are four, man, just eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. Four guys that follow Jesus around and just this is their journal entries. And so if you have an eyewitness account, it's always good to see if there's another eyewitness account of the same story. And there is actually in Luke. Luke chapter 5, if you want to turn over a little bit. And what's interesting about Luke is Luke follows Jesus around and takes these notes. Luke is a doctor. And why that's important is because Luke highlights, especially in his gospel, the miracles. They, they blew him away. And he pays very like, close attention to details. He doesn't miss much details because, once again, he's a doctor. So I want you to watch his account here. In chapter 5, verse 27, this is what it says. It says, after this, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, watch this, left everything. He left everything. He left everything and he followed him. Tonight, if you're taking notes, I just got two simple points. 
When it comes to following Jesus, point number one is this. Jesus' invitation leads to transformation. Jesus' invitation leads to transformation. Or maybe put shortly, following Jesus changes you. It changes you. And if you look back over the course of your life and your journey with Jesus, and if you're like, dude, I've been following Jesus for two, three, four years, and you look back and you're the same as you were four years ago, I love you enough to tell you you're not following Jesus. You're following an idea of Jesus. Jesus, following Jesus changes you. God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you and I too much to leave us there. Um, we just met some new friends that are just kind of visiting, Eric and Brooke, who are doing uh, kind of an RV camp ministry. And uh, we were joking in the back that um, I, I'm not super outdoorsy. Uh, we joke often around here that I'm more what they call indoorsy. And so my definition of camping is just cracking open a window at the Holiday Inn and buying a piece of s'mores cheesecake. Um, and so, but... Jane, and I've shared this story with some of you, Jane asked uh, a couple months ago, she's like, hey, when Tilly gets older, will you be the one to take her camping? I was like, sure, I'll I'll figure it out. Uh, But what's intriguing, and I know I've shared this with some of you before, is the motorhome industry, that you can go buy a motorhome or, I mean, they call it glamping where it's literally like you're staying in a hotel, it just happens to kind of be outdoors. And the motorhome is an interesting thing, and here's why. Because the motorhome has allowed us to put all the conveniences of home on wheels. Like a camper, whether that's you or I, no longer needs to contend with a sleeping bag or cooking over a fire or hauling water from a stream. Now he or she can park a fully equipped home on a cement slab in the midst of a few pine trees and hook it up to a water line, a sewer line and electricity. One motorhome I saw recently had a satellite dish attached on top. So listen, there's no need to bother with dirt or smoke or fire or just all that walking to the stream. Now, check this out. It's possible to go camping and never go outside. That we buy motor homes in hopes that we'll see new places, getting out into the world. Yet we deck it out with the same furnishings as our living room. Thus, nothing really changes. And we may drive to a new place, set ourselves in new surroundings, but the newness goes unnoticed, for we've only carried alongside of us our old setting. And the adventure of new life in Christ begins when the comfortable patterns of the old life are left behind. That we cannot follow Jesus and stay in the same place. That Levi walks away from everything and is ultimately, his life is changed forever. It changes every part of him. Like every part of him. Like if you think about this, like, like he, he, his reputation changed. His resources, like he, he lost his income. Like his relationships, all, all the people that he once hung out with and the only person a tax collector hangs out with is other tax collectors. All of that, he lays at the feet of Jesus. So the question that I just kind of want to poke at tonight is why? 
Why would Levi leave everything? Here, here's my, my guess. Just using some creative imagination. I think the reason that Levi left everything to follow after Jesus in that one moment, because he missed God. Let me explain, because that seems a little cheesy. Levi, his name would have mattered. And he was given the name Levi. Why? Because his family was born in the tribe of the Levites. The Levites were the priestly tribe of Israel. I mean, they were the ones that set up the tabernacle. They were the ones that the priests came from. So Levi would have grown up in a very rich tradition of knowing the things of God. Here's what's interesting. When Levi ended up following Jesus, his name is changed. His name is changed to Matthew. Why that's interesting is because out of the first four Gospels, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was written by Levi. What's crazy is... Matthew quotes more scripture, more Old Testament scripture than the other three combined. Why? Because it was deep inside of his heart. He knew the things of God. But something happened along the journey and he had taken a step away and gotten caught up in something else that he thought would satisfy him and that he thought would complete him. Something else that he began to follow that he gave leadership, that led him down a path that didn't get him where he wanted. And so when Jesus shows up on the scenes and goes, follow me, I really think it was a part that he missed the presence of God and his heart was thirsty for something to satisfy his brokenness. And can I just maybe say this? I don't, I don't think that's just by accident or happenstance. I think realistically, there's probably some of you in this room tonight that maybe you're just kind of like, this is the beginning of a journey kind of maybe even back towards the things of God. That's why you're here. To go, God, like, could, could you meet me here? Could you actually have something you want to speak to my heart? And can I just say this? Maybe, just maybe, that word was just for you. Just for you to know that God sees you, that he loves you, and no matter how far you've run, that he welcomes you with open arms. Not only that, that he's willing to do all the work and meet you right where you are. Levi was sitting at the tax booth, and Jesus meets him right where he is. And the invitation is to leave all of the junk behind, all of the stuff that's killing you, all the stuff that you think is going to satisfy you and complete you, and let me show you this new way of living life. And he does it. He leaves everything behind. And I just want to communicate this constantly to you guys that no matter what Jesus is asking you to leave behind, he is absolutely worth it. He's absolutely worth it. But it's, it's an all or nothing deal. To follow Jesus is like, hey, it's not, well, let me think about it. I heard Jesus, I'm going to do this kind of part-time. 
Here's how I know. Listen, in 2014, in New York City, which is a longer story for another time, um, I got down in Central Park. I got down on one knee. I pulled a ring out of my pocket, and I asked Jane Imaizumi to spend the rest of my life or her life with me. I told her for the very first time that I loved her. Why? Because those words meant something to me, and I wasn't going to say them until I could back them up. And I told her I want to spend the rest of my life with her. She said yes, uh, or obviously I wouldn't have been telling that part of the story. Uh, and um, man, we're going on six years now. But I want you, thank, thank you, thank you. Uh, I did it all, I did it all. Uh, thank you. Um, now here's, here's why I tell that story. Could you imagine if in Central Park we start to have a discussion of like, okay, I was like, just so you know, you took the ring, sweetheart. But I, I want you to know, like I'm 95% in. Like, 95% of the time, I'm committed, like fully committed to you. 95% of the time, I'm going to be faithful to you, girl. Like, that's how much I love you. I'm committed to you 95% of the time. Now, listen, you, you and I both know, like, that's ridiculous. Like, right now, and I see some, the, the tension of some of you single ladies. Jade, you're getting married in just a few short months. Like, you're like, no, that would never happen. That would not be okay if Chandler told you that. Here's why. Because that we know that 95% commitment is not a commitment at all. And so Jesus is inviting us to trust him with everything. Let him have it to transform us, to change us. Hudson Taylor, great uh, missionary to China, he said, if... If Jesus isn't Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. And so 95% commitment is not commitment. And that's what we see with Levi. Everything about him changed. His name changed, his job changed, his crew and squad changed. And he goes on to write one of the Gospels. He changed from the inside out. Following Jesus does that. Now, but let me answer this question. How? How does it do that? Well, this is important. It does not change you and I out of performance. It doesn't change us out of behaving a certain way to belong. Like it's, it's meeting Jesus, like walking with him. And it's not about performance. It's all about proximity. Let me, let me give you a quick example. And I've shared this with some of you. Um, when I graduated college, I immediately jumped into a car with a guy named Josh Martin, and we spent uh, an entire year, about a year and a half, living in a small car, just loops around America, performing wherever God would let us stop. About a year and a half in, we decide, hey, we want to plant roots somewhere deep, and so we decided to just, we were passing through Washington State, and we decided to stay there, and we teamed up with one other guy, and we planted a church uh, in the Pacific Northwest. We had no idea that it would work, uh, 11 years later, it did. I mean, it was still moving. We were still planting churches. I think Resonate is about to uh, plant their, like, 22nd church coming up in the next few years. So crazy God story. But, I mean, over 12 years uh, living with this guy. And if Josh were to come out tonight and I bring him and give him the microphone and go, hey, just, just share your heart with us. There's a couple things you'd notice really quick. You'd be like, dang, man, Josh and Drew talk a lot alike. Like, they, they have the same mannerisms, they're kind of their voice inflections the same, they tell a lot of the same stories, a lot of the same jokes, most of which he stole from me. Like, we're very, very similar. Why? It's not because we practice that. 
it's not because we performed. It's because for every single day, for a year and a half, we were side by side in a car together. And who you link your life with, you begin to act like. And so you and I, when we follow Jesus, we begin to look more and more like Jesus. Not because we perform, not we try, because we try to be more moral, not because we try to jump through hoops. No, by proximity with Jesus, we begin to look like Jesus and we begin to transform into his image. The transformation is about performance, or it's not about performance, but it's about proximity. Point number two here, as we land the plane. Our transformation always leads to an invitation. So point number one was our invitation leads to transformation. Point number two is our transformation always leads to an invitation. And the invitation is to those around us to come and follow. And um, just as a side note, for those of us in this room that love Jesus, that are following Jesus... We hear, we hear so often around here, specifically San Antonio, like, that Drew, like, yeah, man, I'm following Jesus, just my relationship, it's just, man, it's just, it's my personal relationship. It's just like my private relationship with Jesus. And, and I'll say this, listen, your relationship with Jesus is most definitely personal, but it was never meant to be private. Never meant. You see this here at uh, the next few verses. In verse 29, it says this. It says, then Levi, because he's left everything. He's following Jesus. It says, then Levi held a great banquet through a huge party for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others, that's a fun word, just others, everyone else that's uh, of ill repute, uh, were eating with them. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complain to his disciples. This is what they said. They said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and, in quotes, sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Matthew immediately invites his people to meet with Jesus. I love that. He's been following Jesus now for all of like five or ten minutes. And listen, no seminary training, no Sunday school classes, hasn't done the Bible in a year. He knows very little. But all he knows is that he met a man who changed everything about him and a man who is worth leaving everything behind. And immediately he invites all of his influence, all of the tax collectors, all of these prostitutes and begins to invite them to throw this. He throws this huge party so they could interact with Jesus. Your transformation, your following Jesus always leads to an invitation to those that don't yet know him. Listen, it is the thesis of my life that God doesn't just save us from something, that he saves us for something. And, and you've heard me say this. Listen, the only reason I believe if you know Jesus, like the moment you said yes to Jesus and you pushed the chips in and said, my life's yours, you, you, you be the king, you be the captain. In that moment, like why not? Why not get zapped up into heaven to be with King Jesus? 
It'd be a much better deal than we've got going on down here. As amazing as the church is, as amazing as San Antonio is, like we, we love it. Like the weather's amazing right now. And it's up and down, but it's still amazing. Like why, why leave us here? Like why not the moment you say yes to Jesus, get, why don't I get zapped up into heaven to be in his presence, in his throne room? Like no cancer, like no sickness, no fear, no anxiety, no worry. Like why would he leave us here? Because the truth is he's not done with us yet. That God, listen, loves you so much that he opened the eyes of your heart and invited you to give up everything to follow him because he knows that he's the only thing that will satisfy you. And then, check this, God loves your family so much that he would rescue you, redeem you, and leave you in that family so that you could love them and point them to Jesus. That God so loves your sorority sisters or fraternity brothers, why who rescue your heart, redeem your heart, and then leave you in that fraternity or that sorority so that you could pass on the gospel, the one message that has the ability to take a dead person and bring it to life, pass it on to them. That God loves your coworkers so much that he rescued and redeemed your heart. And he left you that office space so that you could love the people that he's put in your life. God loves your neighborhood so much that he rescued you and he's leaving you there. Why? So that you could share his love with the people that just so happened to buy the house across the street. It's the only reason we're still here. I believe that with all of my heart. It is the one thing, if you think about this, it is the one thing you can't do in heaven. The one thing you will not be able to do in heaven, besides sin, is to share the love of Jesus with someone who doesn't know the love of Jesus. That's why we're still here. That's why there's a church. Because there are people who still don't yet know Jesus, and you and I are a group of followers who don't have it all together, but we're just grouped together going, hey, Jesus, we want to love you, we want to pursue you, we want to be a family in the journey, and then we want to change the world wherever you send us. I'll share one story, and then I'm done. A couple years ago, was on the campus of Washington State University, and uh, I met a guy by the name of James, and um, James ended up coming to one of our RIM communities, or we called him something else, but just our community. He showed up, and he hangs out. He's a freshman at Washington State University, and as we're hanging out, like, uh, we decided, hey, let's get coffee this week, and sit down with him and he just tells me like both my family like both my parents are they're strong atheists don't really want to have anything to do with God and that's kind of just the family I've grown up in and I go well bro why why come to this like I mean we're coming over to our house we're talking about Jesus a lot and he goes honestly Drew I come because there's free food and I was like cool man and he, he asked me a question he said Drew he said 
I hear a lot of the people in the community, they use this one word and I don't know what it means. He said they use the word gospel. What does that word mean? And as a pastor, I mean, it's like your dream. Like that's like the softball that gets tossed to you. Like, well, I'll swing. And so I just sat down over coffee, just began to just walk him through the story uh, of this book. That, that at the very beginning of this thing, God just speaks the world into existence. In perfect relationship with him, he creates, like his paintbrush is his words. And on the sixth day, God reaches into the dirt. It's the first thing that God would ever touch. And he fashions mankind, breathes life into man. Why? So that we would have the opportunity to have a deep, intimate relationship with this God. Like that's why we were created, to know him. Like to be loved by him. Like that God fully wants to know you, fully wants you to love, like love you, wants you to experience that. The sad news of this book is that we make it three chapters into the book before we screw it all up. And we looked at God and said, hey, thank you, but no thanks. Like, I know that you created this with a plan and this is all about you, but I kind of really want it to be all about me. I don't want you to be in control. I want to be in control. I don't want you to be the captain. I want to step onto the throne. And in that moment, that's sin entered the world or rebellion or our treason. It entered the world and it fractured it as we know it. Like we all feel that. Like you don't have to look around for very long before there's something in your heart that goes, hey, this isn't the way it was created to be. Surely not. Like that, that, that sin nature, that brokenness, it's inside of every single one of us. And I know that's not popular. That's not PC. But the truth is it's inside each and every one of us like a cancer, a plague that's killing us and it's separating us from the God that loves us whole Old Testament, although it's really crazy, we're learning that right now, it's really just one giant promise. And the promise is that God loves you and I in our brokenness, and he loves us too much to leave us there. And one day he's sending a hero to fix every bit of it. And so when you turn the pages, from Malachi into Matthew, Old Testament into the New Testament, the hero shows up. But it's not, it's not who anyone expected because the hero was actually God himself. That God would choose to leave his throne room. This perfect God that created us would choose to leave his throne room and wrap himself in human flesh. And that was the person of Jesus. That's why at Christmas time we call him Emmanuel, meaning God's with us. Like he's no longer distant. He's no longer far. Like he's, this Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. We believe as followers of him that this is God in flesh, that he walked on earth 33 perfect years teaching us what it means to be fully human and to be fully alive. Then he willingly lays his life down on our cross. That was our death penalty for our treason. And then he's placed into a tomb and three days later, he walks out of the grave alive, proving that he has the power over sin and death and all who are willing to call upon the name of Jesus and sidestep off the stage and say, it's yours. 
you be the captain, you be in control. I wanna follow you. I'm not asking you to follow me, I wanna follow you. The scripture tells us this, that in that moment, something crazy happens. We go from being enemies of God to now being adopted into the family. Adopted sons or daughters, like that's the good news of this book. Like if you've ever wondered what this book is all about, it is not, there are some rules, yes, in it, but this whole thing is about what it looks like to be an adopted son or daughter of the king of the universe. I remember sitting across the table and James just like wide eyes, like, bro, that's crazy. But I'm willing to journey with you. For the next three months, we would journey together. And in December, James looks across the table and goes, I'm all in, bro. I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna follow him right now. Praise this really sweet, just authentic prayer, just asking God to rescue his heart. The next day we're in his dorm. Here's the point of the story. We're in his dorm and we're hanging out. And James looks at his roommate, Steve, and he goes, ultimately just goes, what do you know about Jesus? And starts to just share his story with Steve. Like just shares the gospel with him, begins to just walk him through it. And I'm gonna be honest, I'm sitting there the whole time next to them. And the whole time I'm thinking, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. He's butchering this story. Luckily I'm here, cause God, you really need me to clean this up for James. And I don't even get to the chance. Like James just looks at Stephen and goes, hey, what's keeping you from giving your life to Jesus? didn't even get to clean it up. And Stephen looks at James and goes, nothing. I want that more than anything. How do I get it? Here's my point. James had been following Jesus for all of about 24 hours. But in that 24 hours, Jesus was transforming everything about him. He'd seen Jesus to be worthy of pursuing and chasing after, and then was just telling his roommates about it. Did he do a good job? Nope. He'd been trained? Nope. Did he go to seminary? Nope. All James knew is I met a man who changed my life, and I'm willing to bet he can change yours too. So church, this is what it looks like as we begin to follow after Jesus, allowing him to change us from the inside out, that's what makes us or allows us to step into that leadership. James, listen, in the very mindset of Paul, it's like, hey, listen, I don't have it figured out. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but hey, listen, I'm headed towards Jesus. That's where I'm going. I'm following him. If you wanna follow me, you're gonna get Jesus. Why? Because that's where I'm headed that who you follow matters. And I believe it with all my heart, the best leaders are first great followers. And if you hear anything tonight, know that Jesus is worth following. He really is good. So church, I wanna give us just 120 seconds just to just sit with Jesus as the band just kind of plays behind. And here's what I'll ask. If Jesus is really here and we believe he is, and if he's speaking, the question is, can you hear him? What's he saying to you? 
Listen, you, you didn't come here tonight to just hear some guy get up here on stage and rant and kind of walk back and forth and just tell you how to live your life. No, my hope is that tonight you would encounter Jesus because he's the only one that can actually change your life. And so here's what I want you to do in just 120 seconds. Just ask, Jesus, what do I need to leave behind to follow you? What are you asking me to leave behind to follow you? And then what will it take to get up and follow. Thank you for listening to the CBC The Rim podcast. If you like the message, then check us out at cbctherim.com. There you can learn more about our gathering times, upcoming events, or how to get more involved. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at CBC The Rim. Thanks for listening.